Christ the King Story Hour presents Pinocchio. Chapter 18 Pinocchio again meets the fox and the cat. The fairy allowed the puppet to cry for a good half hour over his nose, which could no longer pass through the door of the room. This she did to give him a severe lesson, and to break him of the disgraceful habit of telling lies, the most disgraceful fault that a boy can have. But when she saw him quite disfigured, and his eyes swollen out of his head from weeping, she felt full of compassion for him. She therefore beat her hands together, and at that signal, a thousand large birds called woodpeckers flew in at the window. They immediately perched on Pinocchio's nose and began to peck at it with such zeal that in a few minutes his enormous and ridiculous nose was reduced to its usual dimensions. What a good fairy you are, said the puppet, drying his eyes. And how much I love you. I love you also, answered the fairy. And if you will remain with me, you shall be my little brother, and I will be your good little sister. I would remain willingly if it were not for my poor papa. I have thought of everything. I have already let your father know, and he will be here tonight. Really? shouted Pinocchio, jumping for joy. Then, little fairy, if you consent, I should like to go and meet him. I am so anxious to give a kiss to that poor old man who has suffered so much on my account that I'm counting the minutes. Go then, but be careful not to lose yourself. Take the road through the wood, and I am sure that you will meet him. Pinocchio set out, and as soon as he was in the wood, he began to run like a kid. But when he had reached a certain spot, almost in front of the big oak, he stopped, because he thought he heard people among the bushes. In fact, two persons came out on the road. Can you guess who they were? His two traveling companions, the fox and the cat, with whom he had supped at the inn of the red crawfish. Why, here is our dear Pinocchio, cried the fox, kissing and embracing him. How came you to be here? How came you to be here, repeated the cat. It is a long story, answered the puppet, which I will tell you when I have time. But do you know that the other night, when you left me alone at the inn, I met with assassins on the road? Assassins? Oh, poor Pinocchio. And what did they want? They wanted to rob me of my gold pieces. Villains, said the fox. Infamous villains, repeated the cat. But I ran away from them, 
continued the puppet. And they followed me, and at last they overtook me and hanged me to a branch of that oak tree. And Pinocchio pointed to the big oak, which was two steps from them. Is it possible to hear of anything more dreadful, said the fox, in what a world we are condemned to live? Where can respectable people like us find a safe refuge? While they were thus talking, Pinocchio observed that the cat was lame in her front right leg, for in fact she had lost her paw with all its claws. He therefore asked her, what have you done with your paw? The cat tried to answer, but became confused. Therefore, the fox said immediately, oh, My friend is too modest, and that is why she doesn't speak. I will answer for her. I must tell you that an hour ago we met an old wolf on the road, almost fainting from want of food, who asked alms of us. Not having so much as a fishbone to give him, what did my friend, who has really the heart of a Caesar, do? She bit off one of her forepaws and threw it to that poor beast, so that he might appease his hunger. And the fox, in relating this, dried a tear. Pinocchio was also touched, and approaching the cat, whispered into her ear, If all cats resembled you, how fortunate the mice would be. And now, what are you doing here? asked the fox of the puppet. I am waiting for my papa, whom I expect to arrive every moment. And your gold pieces? I've got them in my pocket, all but one, that I spent at the inn of the red crawfish. And to think that instead of four pieces, by tomorrow they might become one or two thousand. Why do you not listen to my advice? Why will you not go and bury them in the field of miracles? Today it is impossible. I will go another day. Another day, it will be too late, said the fox. Why? Because the field has been bought by a gentleman, and after tomorrow no one will be allowed to bury money there. How far off is the field of miracles? Oh, not two miles. Will you come with us? In half an hour you will be there. You can bury your money at once, and in a few minutes you will collect two thousand, and this evening you will return with your pockets full. Will you come with us? Pinocchio thought of the good fairy, old Geppetto, and the warnings of the talking cricket, and he hesitated a little before answering. He ended, however, by doing as all boys do, who have not a grain of sense and who have no heart. He ended by giving his head a little shake and saying to the fox and the cat, Let us go. I will come with you. And they went. 
After having walked half the day, they reached a town that was called Trap for Blockheads. As soon as Pinocchio entered this town, he saw that the streets were crowded with dogs that were yawning from hunger, shorn sheep trembling with cold, roosters without combs begging for a grain of Indian corn, large butterflies that could no longer fly because they had sold their beautiful colored wings, peacocks that had no tails and were ashamed to be seen, and pheasants that went scratching around in a subdued fashion mourning for their brilliant gold and silver feathers that were gone forever. In the middle of this crowd of beggars and shame-faced creatures, some lordly carriage passed from time to time, containing a fox or a thieving magpie or some other ravenous bird of prey. And where is the field of miracles? asked Pinocchio. It is here, not two steps from us. They crossed the town, and having gone beyond the walls, they came to a solitary field. Here we are, said the fox to the puppet. Now stoop down and dig with your hands a little hole in the ground and put your gold pieces into it. Pinocchio obeyed. He dug a hole, put into it the four gold pieces that he had left, and then filled up the hole with a little earth. Now then, said the fox, go to that canal close to us, fetch a can of water, and water the ground where you've sowed them. Pinocchio went to the canal, and as he had no can, he took off one of his old shoes, and filling it with water, he watered the ground over the hole. He then asked, Is there anything else to be done? Nothing else, answered the fox. We can now go away. You can return in about twenty minutes, and you will find a shrub already pushing through the ground, with its branches quite loaded with money. The poor puppet, beside himself with joy, thanked the fox and the cat a thousand times, and promised them a beautiful present. We wish for no presents, answered the two rascals. It is enough for us to have taught you the way to enrich yourself without undergoing hard work, and we are as happy as people out for a holiday. Thus saying, they took leave of Pinocchio, and wishing him a good harvest, went about their business. Chapter 19 Pinocchio is robbed of his money. The puppet returned to the town and began to count the minutes, one by one, and when he thought that it must be time, he took the road leading to the field of miracles. And as he walked along with hurried steps, his heart beat fast, tick-tock, tick-tock, like a drawing-room clock when it was really going well. Meanwhile, He was thinking to himself, And if instead of a thousand gold pieces, I were to find on the branches of the tree two thousand, and instead of two thousand, supposing I found five thousand, and instead of five thousand, that I found a hundred thousand, oh, what a fine gentleman I should then become, 
I would have a beautiful palace, a thousand little wooden horses, a thousand stables to amuse myself with, with a cellar full of currant wine and sweet syrups, and a library quite full of candies, tarts, plump cakes, macaroons, and biscuits with cream. While he was building these castles in the air, he had arrived in the neighborhood of the field, and he stopped to look around for a tree with its branches laden with money. But he saw nothing. He advanced another hundred steps. Nothing. He entered the field and went right up to the little hole where he had buried his sovereigns. And nothing. He then became very thoughtful, and forgetting the rules of society and good manners, he took his hands out of his pocket and gave his head a long scratch. At that moment, he heard an explosion of laughter close to him, and looking up, saw a large parrot perched on a tree that was pruning the few feathers he had left. Why are you laughing? asked Pinocchio in an angry voice. I am laughing because in pruning my feathers, I tickled myself under my wings. The puppet did not answer, but went to the canal, and filling the same old shoe full of water, proceeded to water the earth afresh that covered his gold pieces. While he was thus occupied, another laugh, still more impertinent than the first, rang out in the silence of that solitary place. Once and for all, shouted Pinocchio in a rage, may I know, you ill-educated parrot, what you are laughing at? I'm laughing at those simpletons who believe in all the foolish things that are told them and who allow themselves to be entrapped by those who are more cunning than they are. Are you perhaps speaking of me? Yes, I am speaking of you, poor Pinocchio, of you who are simple enough to believe that money can be sown and gathered in fields in the same way as beans and gourds. I also believed it once, and today I am suffering for it. Today, but it is too late, I have at last learned that to put a few pennies honestly together, it is necessary to know how to earn them, either by the work of our own hands or by the cleverness of our own brains. I don't understand you, said the puppet, who was already trembling with fear. Have patience. I will explain myself better, rejoined the parrot. You must know that while you were in the town, the fox and the cat returned to the field. They took the buried money and then fled like the wind. And now he that catches them will be clever. Pinocchio remained with his mouth open and not choosing to believe the parrot's words, began with his hands and nails to dig up the earth that he had watered. And he dug and dug and dug and made such a deep hole that a stack of straw might have stood upright in it, but the money was no longer there. He rushed back to the town in a state of desperation 
and went at once to the courts of justice to denounce the two knaves who had robbed him to the judge. The judge was a big ape of the gorilla tribe, an old ape, respectable for his age, his white beard, but especially for his gold spectacles without glasses that he was always obliged to wear on account of an inflammation of the eyes that had tormented him for many years. Pinocchio related in the presence of the judge all the particulars of the infamous fraud of which he had been the victim. He gave the names, the last names, and the other details of the two rascals and ended by demanding justice. The judge listened with great benignity, took a lively interest in the story, and was much touched and moved. When the puppet had nothing further to say, he stretched out his hand and rang a bell. At this summons, two mastiffs immediately appeared, dressed as gendarmes. The judge then, pointing to Pinocchio, said to them, That poor devil has been robbed of four gold pieces. Take him away, and put him immediately into prison. The puppet was petrified on hearing this unexpected sentence, and tried to protest, but the gendarmes, to avoid losing time, stopped his mouth and carried him off to the lockup. And there he remained for four months, four long months. And he would have remained longer still if a fortunate chance had not released him. The young emperor, who reigned over the town of Trap for Blockheads, having won a splendid victory over his enemies, ordered great public rejoicings. There were illuminations, fireworks, horse races, and bicycle races. And as a further sign of triumph, he commanded that the prison should be opened and all the prisoners freed. If the others are to be let out of prison, I will go also, said Pinocchio to the jailer. No, not you, said the jailer, because you do not belong to the fortunate class. I beg your pardon, replied Pinocchio. I am also a criminal. In that case, you are perfectly right, said the jailer, and taking off his hat and bowing to him respectfully, he opened the prison doors and let him escape.
Chapter 20 Pinocchio starts back to the fairy's house. You can imagine Pinocchio's joy when he found himself free. Without stopping to take a breath, he immediately left the town and took the road that led to the fairy's house. On account of the rainy weather, the road had become a marsh, into which he sank knee-deep. But the puppet would not give in. Tormented by the desire to see his father and his little sister with the indigo hair again, he ran on like a greyhound, and as he ran he was splashed with mud from head to foot. And he said to himself, as he went along, How many misfortunes have happened to me? But I deserve them, for I am an obstinate, passionate puppet. I'm always bent on having my own way without listening to those who wish me well, and who have a thousand times more sense than I have. But from this time forth I am determined to change and to become orderly and obedient, for at last I have seen that disobedient boys come to no good and gain nothing. And has my papa waited for me? Shall I find him at the fairy's house? Poor man. It is so long since I last saw him. I am dying to embrace him and to cover him with kisses. And will the fairy forgive me my bad conduct to her? To think of all the kindness and loving care I received from her. To think that if I am now alive, I owe it to her. Would it be possible to find a more ungrateful boy or one with less heart than I have? While he was saying this, he stopped suddenly, frightened to death, and took four steps backward. What had he seen? He had seen an immense serpent stretched across the road. Its skin was green and it had red eyes and a pointed tail that was smoking like a chimney. It would be impossible to imagine the puppet's terror. He walked away to a safe distance and, sitting down on a heap of stones, waited until the serpent should have gone about its business and left the road clear. He waited an hour, two hours, three hours, but the serpent was always there, and even from a distance he could see the red light of his fiery eyes and the column of smoke that ascended from the end of his tail. At last, Pinocchio, trying to feel courageous, approached to within a few steps, then said to the serpent in a soft, little insinuating voice, Excuse me, Sir Serpent, but would you be so good as to move a little to one side, just enough to allow me to pass? He might as well have spoken to a wall. Nobody moved. He began again in the same soft voice. You must know, Sir Serpent, that I am on my way home, where my father is waiting for me. And it is such a long time since I saw him last. Will you, therefore, allow me to continue on my road? He waited for a sign in answer to this request, but there was none. In fact, the serpent, which up to that moment had been sprightly and full of life, became motionless and almost rigid. 
He shut his eyes and his tail ceased smoking. Can he really be dead? said Pinocchio, rubbing his hands with delight. He determined to jump over him and reach the other side of the road. But just as he was going to leap, the serpent raised himself suddenly on end like a spring set in motion, and the puppet, drawing back in his terror, caught his feet and fell to the ground. And he fell so awkwardly that his head stuck in the mud and his legs went into the air. At the sight of the puppet kicking violently with his head in the mud, the serpent went into convulsions of laughter and laughed and laughed until he broke a blood vessel in his chest and died. And that time, he was really dead. Pinocchio then set off running in hopes that he should reach the fairy's house before dark. But before long, he began to suffer so dreadfully from hunger that he could not bear it. And he jumped into a field by the wayside, intending to pick some bunches of muscatel grapes. Oh, that he had never done it. He had scarcely reached the vines when... Crack! His legs were caught between two cutting iron bars, and he became so giddy with pain that stars of every color danced before his eyes. The poor puppet had been taken in a trap, put there to capture some big polecats that were the scourge of the poultry yards in the neighborhood. Chapter 21 Pinocchio Acts as a Watchdog Pinocchio began to cry and scream, but his tears and groans were useless, for there was not a house to be seen, and not a living soul passed down the road. At last, night came on. Partly from the pain of the trap that cut his legs, and a little from fear at finding himself alone in the dark in the middle of the fields, the puppet was on the point of fainting. Just at that moment, he saw a firefly flitting over his head. He called to it and said, Oh, little firefly, will you have pity on me and liberate me from this torture? Poor boy, said the firefly, stopping and looking at him with compassion. But how could your legs have been caught by those sharp irons? I came into the field to pick two bunches of these muscatel grapes, and but were the grapes yours? No. Then who taught you to carry off other people's property? I was so hungry. Hunger, my boy, is not a good reason for appropriating what does not belong to us. Well, that is true. That is true, said Pinocchio, crying. I will never do it again. At this moment, their conversation was interrupted by a slight sound of approaching footsteps. It was the owner of the field coming on tiptoe to see if one of the polecats that ate his chickens during the night had been caught in his trap. His astonishment was great when, having brought out his lantern from under his coat, he perceived that instead of a polecat, a boy had been taken. Ah, little thief, said the angry peasant. Then it is you who carries off my chickens. 
No, it is not I. Indeed, it is not, cried Pinocchio, sobbing. I only came into the field to take two bunches of grapes. He who steals grapes is quite capable of stealing chickens. Leave it to me. I will give you a lesson that you will not forget in a hurry. Opening the trap, he seized the puppet by the collar and carried him to his house as if he had been a young lamb. When he reached the yard in front of the house, he threw Pinocchio roughly on the ground, putting his foot on his neck, said to him, It is late, and I want to go to bed. We will settle our accounts tomorrow. In the meanwhile, as the dog, who kept guard at night, died today, you shall take his place at once. You shall be my watchdog. And taking the big collar, covered with brass knobs, he strapped it so tightly around Pinocchio's throat that he was not able to draw his head out of it. A heavy chain attached to the collar was fastened to the wall. If it should rain tonight, he then said to him, you can go lie down in the kennel. The straw that has served as a bed for my poor dog for the last four years is still there. If unfortunately robbers should come, remember to keep your ears pricked and to bark. After giving him this last injunction, the man went into the house, shut the door, and put up the chain. Poor Pinocchio remained lying on the ground, more dead than alive, from the effects of cold, hunger, and fear. From time to time, he put his hands angrily to the collar that was so tight around his throat and said, crying, It served me right. Decidedly, it serves me right. I was determined to be a vagabond and a good-for-nothing. I listened to bad companions, and that is why I always meet with misfortunes. If I had been a good little boy, as so many are, if I had remained at home with my poor papa, I would not now be in the middle of the fields and obliged to be the watchdog to a peasant's house. Oh, if I could be born again. Now it is too late, and I must have patience. Relieved by this little outburst, which came straight from his heart, he went into the dog kennel and fell asleep. Thank you.